It's your cousin, Marvin C. Hey, Vitamin, you know that new sound you've been looking for? Welcome to Talkie Talk, a podcast for the MediaBias.com. Joining me today is Chris. Hello. TJ. Hey, hey. And I got myself a Brent. I feel like today I got myself a David. Oh, I've been captured. On uh, today's podcast, we're talking about what we've been watching over the past week and uh, dipping into a little bit of the week's film, TV, games news in a segment we call Breezy on a Street. Yeah, we do. Spoilers. Breezy. But first, we have a. Uh, our watch lists. I can go first if you like. I only have three things on it. Mm-hmm. Serving up three things style. But first, I watched uh, Kong Skull Island. It's on HBO, nominated for best visual effects, and the visual effects are great. Yeah. And uh, something I, I said in my letterbox review is like, how confident do you have to be with your visual effects that like every single scene is in slow motion, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like uh, brightly lit too. It's like in daytime, rather than being hit in the corners. Um, besides that, I just thought the movie was really fun. Yeah, I thought it was fun too. Did you? Uh, my only the weird thing for me was that I thought the monsters were so like creative looking, except for like the main worst monster that was that they had to kill at the end. I thought it was the most like basic looking thing out of all of them. But I love the. Uh, uh, the one that looks like a... Is it like a tree or a log or something? Yeah. I, I, I really liked that scene. It's just like a two-minute scene, too. Yeah. It's just like guy's sitting on it, and like uh, it, it tries to attack him, and then it walks away. It's just like, that's the world of this island. It's been a while. It was the giant buffaloes. Weren't they like giant water buffaloes? Oh, those were cool, too. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. cool. Yeah. And King Kong was cool. I've read a lot about how they uh, the height of King Kongs throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started off, I think it was... Uh, like a lot of the time, they change their scale when they move to the New York scenes mm-hmm. and the the old King Kong story. Mm-hmm. But he'd be like twenty five feet tall and then thirty three feet tall in New York, um, and that's about where they all averaged. The King Kong in Peter Jackson's King Kong from fifteen or so years ago was a little bit taller, like fifty feet. Even ratio for the whole film at over a hundred feet tall, it was like twice mm-hmm. as big as the biggest Kong, and it looked like it. It was huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the visual effects are really good. I, I thought. Who played Kong? Terry Notary. Oh, so he's in. There's a lot of fun. John C. Riley's really a lot of fun in that movie. You can tell he's having a blast. But the movie was really fun. Uh, King Kong body slams a reptile. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and Brie Larson has fun 70s hair. And uh, John C. Riley is fantastic. He's hilarious. Did but. you Did you watch the post credits thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Where they're setting up a what could actually be a fun shared universe. Yeah, those those movies are uh, decent. I liked Godzilla. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I just wish Tom Hiddleston had more to do in this movie in Kong because I liked I like him as an actor. He's kind of generic guy who's always right and makes the most perfect decision. Yeah, and knows everything. He's he's not very interesting. Yeah, I would have I would have pulled for more him and more more Brie honestly. Yeah, and a little less Sam Jackson in that movie. Like, yeah, he was in a lot. 
I kind of I thought the soldiers were pretty fun too. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the guy who directed. Um, it's Kids in the Woods. Yeah, Kids in the Woods movie. Nights of Summer. Kings of Summer. Kings, Kings of, of Summer. Summer. It's a really good movie. Yeah, and yeah. He's, he's directed in the Metal Gear Solid movie. Nice. Fun. The the often rumored, written, and never to be produced and made Metal Gear Solid movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, other thing I watched. <laughs> yeah. Other thing I watched was uh, the Boss Baby, nominated for best animated feature. It was a. Uh, that movie was like the big thing on Twitter and stuff. It's like we have Oscar nominee the Boss Baby, but it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's not it's like not Suicide Squad. Oscar yeah. nominated. It's it's honestly very visually inventive, mm-hmm. and I like the uh, you know. Thing you guys talked about that it's smarter than you think because the framework is not just a boss baby it's like this kid's imagination of like how he you know thought things were going on when he had a little kid brother yeah I think the scenes I may have said this last week but I, I thought the scenes where he is you're in his head in his like visions of how he's playing and whatnot mm-hmm. I thought those were the best scenes in the movie those were so visually cool the first mm-hmm. like five minutes or ten minutes or whatever mm-hmm. and when they're on like the pirate ship yeah, in the, the raging seas or whatever. Yeah. That was really cool. I can kind of see why it got nominated for best animated because mm-hmm. you also have like uh, yeah, there's a sneaking sequence where he does like his ninja thing, where it goes to like this uh, like uh, Samurai Jack mm-hmm. 2D like really Jendi Tartofsky style animation, like really blocky. It's just really fun, bunch of different stuff. It's not a, it's not fantastic, but it was a good time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Boss baby, mm-hmm. it was cute too. Baby has suit on. Speaking of <laughs> baby suits and cute, I also watched uh, foreign language nominee The Square. We all watched The Square. Yes. Yes. Group watch. Just somebody else besides me talk about this. Well, The Square, uh, if if you don't know, dear listener, is the setup is there's like a muse- museum curator who. Like, what is even the framing story? That's, it's just that's what I say. It's I about like know. it's like a museum and like a bunch of stuff happens. Yep. They're launching this uh, exhibition called the Square. It's a place designated place for people to be decent inside of. But that's not even really what the movie's about at all. I thought it might be about the square, and then it wasn't about. The well, square. It's, it's it's about the opposite of the square. I think. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It would be the catalyst for his character is that is uh, essentially gets mugged, and. Kind of goes through a series of bad decisions to get his stuff back, which yep. fucks with other people. But there's a lot. I mean, I, I I loved it. I loved it, especially the first two hours of it. I thought were great. Yeah, it's about two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. two hours twenty minutes or so. It's a little too long, but it's it's got some. Uh, you know, it's the guy who did Force Majeure. Uh, some great. Uh, you know, it's a little grim at places, a little like nihilistic. But it's also really funny in a lot of places. I like the uh, running gag of the chimpanzee who's in the journalist's apartment. Yeah. Which is completely unremarked upon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so, so strange. <laughs> and it does great satire of uh, modern art. Um, the pile of rocks yeah. for the, uh, that's Dominic West's, West's uh, exhibition. Yeah. It's so funny. And they, uh, they really set it up because they show it a bunch of times. They eventually show a custodian cleaning, and I, <laughs> I just laughed out loud at that part. <laughs> uh, more than for me, more than the custodian, I liked it when the some person walking through the museum oh, yeah. just pokes their head in, and then just like they don't even walk into the room; they just see what it is, and they just go, "Huh," and just like <laughs> yeah. move on. Yeah. It's like okay, this isn't for me. Yeah, definitely like a social commentary on 
what is fill in the blank though. Yeah. Like, what is fashion? Like, Dominic West character is wearing a blazer over pajamas every time you see him. Mm-hmm. Different pair of pajamas. Uh, I think the her pet ape is hilarious, especially after the the climax, I guess. The the the, the scene everybody would talk about if the, everybody saw this movie was the Terry Notary scene, mm-hmm. where he's pretty much brought in to pretend he's a monkey in a room full of, like, aristocrats. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because this woman's got a ape in her house that nobody talks about or gives a shit about but the real thing and then everybody's losing their mind over this guy who's pretending to be that sure like it's it was funny like when nobody ever makes eye contact with a damn ape yeah she never even looks at him um that is I think the best scene in any movie I saw this year I think it's my favorite scene <laughs> of 2017 scene. yeah I keep yeah. talking about like uh <clears throat> like some of my favorite scenes of the year like Baby Driver and a whole bunch of stuff I should really try to come up with a list because uh, the square probably wouldn't be in my top ten, but the, this scene is just so fantastic. It's a great like uh, bystander effect scene, where uh, you know you're uncomfortable for the beginning part of it, where someone kind of gets chased off, but the end of it is truly, truly uncomfortable. Yes, yeah. And like, there's so many por- parts for someone to help, and it takes them to the very end, and then it's like the exposing the savagery of these aristocrats, even. Yeah. It's just—it's really a complicated how much, scene. How much does it? How much does it take for somebody to help? Like, what's the breaking point for them? Yeah, and it's pretty much like how, just before rape. Yeah, <laughs> how much inhumanity can you shoulder before your humanity takes over? Right, sort of. Because I mean, they—they they beat it over your head that the whole movie that everybody's fine saying no when somebody asks them for money. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and their reaction isn't even humanity at that point. Like not to, like, look like other apes. to spoil it. I mean, yeah. yeah, what do they become as a mob? Right. Right. Um, it's just I, I. It's hard to formulate. I, I saw it not that long ago. Like a real opinion on it. I was uh, affected by it. I guess I. I would thought it was really interesting. It's definitely a very loosely connected series of kind of stories. But yeah, there, there's place for that also. It's. It really is just a series of vignettes that just kind of poke fun at like upper crust life. Mm-hmm. Um. And elitism. Yeah. Like, ev- everyone in the movie is just a complete fucking fraud. Mm-hmm. But not in a way that's like, the only benefit that they get from it is the perception of status. So it makes it difficult, because, you know, like, I liked it because I also, you know, like to poke fun at those things and giggle when people do the, you know, children's art is modern art. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that stuff's amusing. But, like, as a movie, I don't know. But I really love the the individual like scenes and situations that made made it up. Mm-hmm. I thought it was shot really well and acted well. Yeah, I was saying I don't even know if the Terry Notary scene is my favorite scene in this movie. I was really impressed by the choice made in the press conference. This is where I thought the movie should have probably ended. Mm-hmm. Um, but where this guy's a fraud and he's lying again, saying like, "Yeah, I wasn't fired. It was a mutual decision." And then the press kind of turns on him, like, "You're our." First Amendment guy, yeah. Like you, sh- this it's a bad advertisement video, but nobody should be canned for this because you should be able to do that if you want to. Yeah, like, nobody was actually hurt, you know. I think it's it's also like lace bear. Like there's there's no winning. There's no way to win. Yeah, right. Because I think it's also a little bit of a commentary on you. It's it's a European film. It's like a Swedish film. Uh-huh. So it means the Swedish government helped fund the movie. And I thought some of it's a little bit of a meta commentary. It's you know, a lot of people are up in arms. It's like 
the government's money went into this, you know, video about this beggar, and the same kind of money goes into these little Swedish films, which are about what? Right. You know, what is the importance of funding art? Right. And even more meta, like, what is, who's to say what art is, which is what the movie, the yeah. first thing the movie touches on. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great tone-setting scene with Elizabeth Moss and, um... Bang, whatever, I forget his last name. The, like, the interview like Klaus. That, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but he, where she's like, well, you recently said that this, and like reads this string of like, obviously like yeah. <laughs> college freshman level vocab terms. Mm-hmm. And he's just like clueless. He's like, uh, can I see that? Yeah. And then his answer is just like, if I took your purse and set it there because we're in a museum, is that art? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like she clearly would have had follow up questions because there's just the two questions. Right. It's like, uh, oh, oh, okay, well, that's all I have. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I was just going to echo what Chris said, which was to me, it seemed like a, a collection of scenes more than a cohesive movie. But, and the scenes were of varying quality. None of them bad, but some of them great and some of them just fine. And, um, it was certainly interesting, and even even if I don't think it really came together well as a movie, it is. I still think it's like a must watch movie because yeah. it's just you're not going to see anything else like it. I think it's confrontational without being like shocking. It's just like a, um, thought experiment, confrontational, and it's experimental in the the structure, and it's like a it's surreal. That, that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Like the chimpanzee, all the scenes around the art. It's like the the edge of what is art versus like, you know, this can't be in a real world, right? And I think it does does a lot in that little edge. That's really interesting, and I agree. I think it's worth watching. <laughs> there's there's a really funny scene that kind of skirts the line of like what is appropriate an appropriate level of like tolerance uh, with Dominic West that interview yes. and press conference, yeah. and it is. Uncomfortable, but wildly funny at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable that it's funny. Yeah, yeah. You know? And not not talk about the square forever, but we rarely get group watches. Um, I will say, I thought the camera work in the whole back and forth scene from his assistant waiting in the car, seeing all the silhouettes kind of moving around in the background mm-hmm. in his nice car, and then back and forth between the like money saver lights in the hall where he's putting the mail in mm-hmm. was. Really good camera work. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. almost horrifying, like at times. Great, also, great suspense cutting yeah. between the two, and like just the normalcy of the shot. It's the same. Like they could have just gone through the same hallway. Yeah. But like the mundanity of the apartment complex. I also liked when you see them drive away. You can see the sparks flying, and you can hear the yeah. sound of the car. Yeah. See that, it's it's the, that camera never moves, and off. the camera doesn't move. Just off. the assistant, right? Yeah. 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 The sparks in his face are just like yeah. <laughs> And he's in, and uh, what's the guy's name? Christian's in the background. Like, did we hit something? <laughs> it's like, yep. Can you pull over? Let me take a look. And then the camera still doesn't move. His head just pops into the screen. Yeah, looking down at the thing. Like, 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 hangs his head. Yeah, it's yeah, good. It's def- good. definitely worth a watch. Yeah, yeah. And it's nominated for best foreign feature at the Oscars this year. Yes. Yeah. And there's some English in it. That's yeah. true. Very probably, probably more English in this one than there are in the other four. Even though I haven't seen them. Yeah. But that's all I saw. Cool. Any, any I'm new, new recap. plays? Or? It was Kong Skull Island, yeah. and I watched The Boss Baby, yes. and The Square. Alright. Any, any developments in anything you're playing, or same old, same old? Same old, same old. I picked up Stardew Valley again. Nice. Nice. I can go. Alright. 
Um, It'll, that'll cover most of my watch list. <laughs> I watched one movie that is not an Oscar-nominated film. Uh, documentary that has popped up on Netflix, and it looked kind of interesting because I've always been kind of fascinated by the subject, so I watched it. It's called The Summit. It is about the deadliest day ever on K2, which is the second tallest mountain on Earth. It's on the Chinese-Pakistan border. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day in 2000. Three, I think, 2004, somewhere in there. Um, 11 people died um, from the same like group, mm. all in different weird ways, and uh, still kind of unknown as to what happened. Um, like The first guy died, he just kind of disappeared. He was there, and then they turned around, and he wasn't. Mm. The second guy got off the rope, started sliding off the mountain, uh, was completely like with it um, right before he fell, and then had like, no attempt to... There's like a maneuver you can do when you're sliding down a mountain. Just like, spread yourself out and start like trying to dig your fingers in mm-hmm. to the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just kind of like sat Indian style and slid off this cliff face and fell hmm. to his death. Jesus. Um, the people who lived like lost toes and noses and ears. One of them slept uh, like unprotected on the on a cliff face overnight and lived. Got down to like negative 32. Jeez. He was the only person ever to survive a uncovered night on K2 or Everest. Um, but the impressive part of this documentary was all the reenactments that they did were really well done. And I'm easily annoyed by reenactments of documentaries. I generally hate them. Yeah. Um, but after Oscar season, because I know everybody's kind of cracking down, it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you have any kind of interest in that kind of thing. And I do. Um, then I watched a bunch of Oscar nominated stuff. I watched The Last Men in Aleppo. Um, if you saw White Helmets last year, the award-winning short, mm-hmm. the Oscar-winning short, right? Yeah. It's about them. It's mm-hmm. pretty much a full-length movie based on that short. Not that much longer than the short was. The short pushed the length of short films, I believe it was, it was 40 45 minutes. minutes or so. Yeah. yeah. Maybe 44. And this movie is an hour and 25, maybe. Yeah. It's not that long. But uh, if you don't know what White Helmets are, they are rescue workers in Aleppo, pretty much. They, whenever a bomb goes off or anything like that, they go digging through the rubble and pull out mostly bodies and some people that are alive. It's obviously real depressing. Um, lots of people die during the making of the film, which is, which is super, super bummer. But it was really well shot or great war footage. Yeah. Because um, they just got to hang around while yeah. things are good. And then a bomb goes off and they put their helmets on and they haul ass and the filmmakers follow them, which is big ups. <laughs> you know yeah having seen both do you think that you can uh, divide or or point out a difference between the, the filmmaking in, in either or no the, I think you're very limited yeah you know with what you're allowed to if, do kinda. if someone didn't know anything about White Helmets uh, which one would you suggest the, is the short sufficient or would you suggest them watch the longer one I would suggest they watch the longer one okay um, if they haven't seen the short. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I really I feel bad saying this. I was telling Chris earlier. Like, if you've seen the short and you're not trying to be like Oscar completionist like we all are, um, you could probably skip this one. And the reason I say I feel bad for that is, like, it's different people's lives, different people dying, you know, different filmmakers doing yeah. the same thing. But really important shit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and good to know that, like, I mean, these aren't the kind of people that are going to watch a documentary called Last Man in Aleppo about, you know, Muslims that save people's lives. But uh, people that know, like, most of it, like, they're really, really good people over there. Yeah. They're just fucked, kind of. Mm-hmm. 
it's important to know. Watch something that I think two of y'all saw. Watch War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you finish it? No, but I was told the last minute. Okay. <laughs> what happens in the last minute of the movie? Because yeah. that's the, that's what cut out. <laughs> yeah. Great. They find the Great Valley. <laughs> yeah, I told him it looked like Joshua Tree. <laughs> Where I assume they went. Yeah, for me it was like it was just land before time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was really good. Really good movie. Yeah. I went into it from a weird spot. I saw Rise of the Planet of the Apes maybe whenever it came out. Like I've seen each one once when it came out. What, yeah. like six years ago? Seven years ago? Yeah, Rise came Probably out in 2011, I think. Yeah. That's the James Franco one? Yeah. Yeah, I get the them confused. Rise, Dawn, War. Yeah. I love Dawn, um, especially. I didn't see Dawn, so I had this gap in knowledge of like, you know, I don't think it was essential. But they explain to you. Yeah. There's a, an ape who kind of instigates some bullshit and makes the war worse. Yeah, and there's 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 plenty of title crawl and I think they, they accounted for it because the very beginning of the movie, uh, they like kind of list the events that happened and then making in bold the word from the title that's different, right. Rise Dawn War. Yeah. Um, on the on the, the scene where they show like the the explanatory shit. So like there was one particular like text box that was like it was dawn on blah blah blah, and I was just like, oh, I should read that and just <laughs> get caught up immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's cool the way they did that. Yeah, it caught you up on the the movies that came before. Yeah, I needed it. Yeah, I couldn't remember the specifics from Dawn. Yeah, I just remembered that I loved Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I really would like to rewatch that at some point because I thought it was the best of the three and. I remember thinking that, uh, what's his name? The motion capture guy. Andy Serkis? Andy Serkis should have been, I thought he could have been nominated for an Oscar for Dawn. Like, I thought he was that good in in Dawn. He's just as good in this, in my opinion, too. He's, uh... Oh, he's, yeah, he's yeah. still pretty good. Uh, I, I feel like it's not as much about, I, I don't know, maybe I just don't feel like he had as good material to work with in this one. For his like, for him acting, but it was uh, he was he was just as good in in this. Um, my only, I mean, I really liked it. The only issues I had with it were uh, the there's a, some Deus Ex Machina at the end that's just sort of convenient. Yeah, and, um, and I, I thought maybe I don't know. I liked how Dawn was just about Caesar and Coba, Coba. Yeah, good. Yeah, like it's just about them too, and it's 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 a smaller story sort of, mm-hmm. and maybe that's just the freedom you get with telling the middle story. Maybe, like you don't. The third one kind of has to be like grander. Yeah, and so <laughs> see um, Star Wars kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, Dawn gets to be a little simpler, but uh, again, I'm sort of splitting hairs. I think I think uh, War was really good. Yeah, I think it's a great dramatic action movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think it ties up the series well. Um, I, I definitely get what you're saying with the the avalanche. Um, also, feels like it was written in really well for something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It um, didn't like come like it didn't. It didn't feel pushed, kind of. Yeah, it didn't like make no sense, right. or Anything like that. 
Um, and I do think I wrote this in my letterbox review. Uh, we were a little behind on this movie, so I don't guess it'll end up on the website. But uh, I do think Caesar is one of the like best film heroes we've had in recent recent years. Yeah, he's a great character. Yeah, making um, heroic choices too. Mm-hmm. Like he's just always he's a very I don't know admirable character. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the other ape characters too. Rocket's cool. Uh, Bad Ape, played by Steve Zahn, is great. Bad Ape is a great addition. Yeah. It's the best new thing about this movie. Yeah. Uh, because, holy crap! There is if there is a movie series in need of a little levity. Yeah. I feel like it's Planet of the Apes. Those are some. Those are some serious. I was, I was horrified how much that ape looked like Steve Zahn though. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of the character of Maurice. The array tan. Yeah. Maurice is cool. Maurice is best ape. Yes. But yeah, it got nominated for best special effects. That's it for War of the Planet of the Apes or for the Planet of the Apes. Um, probably will be the first one I cross off in that category just because while the motion capture is amazing, uh, it's something we do now. It's the same reason I don't like clay dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Like, mm-hmm. It was cool when you started and it's still cool, but I got to stop acknowledging it at some point. You know what I mean? You're right. making a lot of advancements. To me, it did not seem like any. It did not seem any better than Dawn. Right. Which where there are things in like Blade Runner, for instance, where I was like, I've never fucking seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Blade Runner <laughs> <Same thing. laughs> for the first time. Were there some special effects you've never seen in it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was the last one to see it. I think. Yeah. Group. Uh, I really liked it. I think it's better than the original for somebody who's not a big fan of the original. Um, more to fucking care about this movie than there was in the original. More uh, humanity, I feel like. I cared about the and damn hologram. Like, yeah. I know. There's yeah. more humanity in the movie that has less actual human characters than the original. Yeah, like one one human character, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Robin Wright Penn, she's the only one I know of for sure. Anybody yeah. else? She's the only one you know definitively, but right. you only kind of know that because she's... Yeah, because she acts different and is in control of... Right, they replicants. have set up this universe where replicants now like don't rebel, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to tell who is and who isn't, I guess. Um, really beautiful movie, though. The special effects, specifically the scene I'm talking about, is the sex scene. Um, yeah. Where they bring in the prostitute and their bodies oh, kind yeah. of merge. It's so well done. Incredible. Another yeah. one of the scenes of the year. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, and just the first time you meet Joy, I think, is really cool when she's still in the runners. And then she gets the upgrade. Yeah. That is such a cool scene. Mm-hmm. And where she's kind of like going in and out of her different modes. Yeah, like the yeah. 50s housewife thing. Yeah. And then she gets uh, some freedom. It's just really cool. Yeah. And then him having to see her on the bridge mm-hmm. is heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, kind of slut version of her. Like, the, the advertisement. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, oh, God. It's just heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I docked it a little bit for some like split hairs kind of bullshit. The the big bad replicant was a little annoying. I didn't love that character. Yeah, I thought Jerry Leto was great in the few minutes he was in. That character was awesome. I thought um, I was a little I don't know meh on Leto. I loved him because he's only in the movie for like six minutes. Yeah, he's he's the, he's the character that delivers the exposition of like all the philosophical questions, um, and he's very compartmentalized. Which is, you know, a big complaint people have with the original Blade Runner is that it's like pretty fucking incessant in the original Blade Runner, right? Like, and so with this, you know, you, you get a scene with Jared Leto, and you like, you know, not to 
diminished, but like you put your thinking cap on. You're in the Jared Leto scene where he's in his weird pyramid. It's filled with water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also a big fan of those villains, like the Dr. Manhattan from the movie style villains who like don't think they're doing anything bad. They're way more interesting than like just evil people mm-hmm. where he's like, this is the right move. That, that kind of villain I've always enjoyed. Um, and then I, I, I thought it was fairly predictable. I'd pinned the the end pretty early, but that might not be the movie's fault. It might be what was supposed to happen. I, I like the uh, I like the progression though. It, I think it does subvert the like chosen one archetype that's usually on all in all this shit mm-hmm. in science fiction. Yeah. In what way? He's not special. Yeah, I didn't think he was after the. Scene with the the dream maker lady. I was pretty sure what was going to happen at that point. Yeah, but that's like an hour and a half into the movie, where it starts yeah, to a, subvert a three hour movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was great, great, great film for sure. Watched the breadwinner yesterday. <laughs> Went to the little theater in Atlanta. Got it. Got it for one day, two showings. <laughs> I went and saw it with three other people. It's great. It's just as it's hard. It's gonna be a really hard category for me to pick this year. It's, mm. it's really good. There's a narrative style they use where there's like a parable told throughout the movie that mirrors the movie. Mm. I'm a little tired of that. <laughs> just kind of over that style. Seems to be happening more and more. But uh, it's really great. It takes place in Kabul. Um, Taliban arrests this girl's father, and she pretends to be a boy, which is apparently a thing that happens a lot over there mm. with kids, so they can like be able to go to market if they don't have a man in the house. Because hmm. uh, women can't leave the house. They can't be out without a man. Hmm. Um, really cool little ways they talk about how fucked up it is over there, though, in that movie. With, uh, like, somebody sees somebody with a photograph, and they, like, rip up the photograph and beat the shit out of this person on the side of the road for having a photograph, which is also illegal hmm. there. Hmm. It's Taliban-ruled Kabul is the setting. And uh, she's trying to go to this prison and free her father, who was arrested for talking back to the Taliban. Pretty yeah. much. Um, it's an hour and twenty minutes long. It's real, real, real feel good in the best animated. Uh, it's not as bad as I'm making it sound. I mean, it, it it ends on an upbeat, but it's definitely like a kids' movie. There's like they don't cuss. There's no like blood. It's uh, just kind of like. This is normal over there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nothing you've said about it so far makes it seem like a kid's movie. I mean... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... Yeah, in the way that... I mean, yeah, If you're, you got to make sure your kid's good with, like, people knowing they go to jail, but also I feel like kids who live there would watch this and be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the norm, you know? There's nothing crazy happening on this movie. Yeah, um, and there's a bunch of, like, Disney stuff that and cartoons that we grew up with that starts off with, you know, there's an orphan who's, like... Essentially being tortured, when you think about it, goes off and does their own adventure. Or there's some person who's, you know, in some kind of dire straits. It's just a translation. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think it's it's more than more than hinted at that, like, Fievel and his family in An American Tale are, like, survivors of the Holocaust. Yes. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely recommend Bread, Breadwinner, though. It's good. Animation's really cool, especially in the, the parable part, the fable, mm-hmm. the fairy tale. Is it hand-drawn style? Uh, appears to be. Okay. Um, the 
Fable part is more like 2D animation versus the like 3D animation of, of the live action part, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, but it's really good if y'all get a chance to watch it. I don't know that you will, but it's it's great. I'd love to see it. I like that what that studio does. Secret of Kells. Yeah, I wonder if they're just gonna like keep picking like nationalities and kind of focus on them for a movie. Like, let's tell a movie about like Irish history, sort of like what's going on there. Yeah, we'll do one with aren't they the Middle Eastern? They're, they're Irish or a Welsh studio? I'm not sure. They're somewhere. I think they're Irish. Owls, but mm-hmm. that's just from reading the like crew credits and not seeing a bunch of Welsh names. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Could be Welsh. Um, what, are, what are the two other ones that got nominated? The Secret Song of Kells Song and of the sea. Song of the Sea. Yeah. Uh, watch a short called Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405. It's about 35 minutes long. It's on YouTube. Um, check it out. It's about a severely autistic woman who's one of the best paper mache artists in the country, essentially. And it goes, weird. it's got some like weird, uh, not weird, sad intro kind of talking about her family. Uh, like her dad was an asshole. And she's, I mean, just like the worst kind of autistic you can think of. Mm. Still being able to talk a little. But there are like there are subtitles while she's talking because you can't really make okay. it out. Um, Did you say it was documentary or live action? Documentary. Okay. Um, and it's pretty much just interviewing her and talking about how the title comes from like her. She calls it her heaven. Is yeah. listening to music and like traffic jams on the four or five. Hmm. Um, she can drive now and she just likes likes going and sitting in traffic, listening to music. All right. Yep. And uh, the first paper mache though thing you see, like I had to pause it and like look at it hard because it. I thought it was a picture of John Lennon. It was amazing. Hmm. She's really, really good. Wow. Um, so definitely check that out on YouTube. Uh, we have not a lot of time at all. Like I said, 35 minutes. It's a Doc Short nominee. And uh, <laughs> maybe don't watch it first because I bet the other ones aren't going to be as uplifting <laughs> and happy. <laughs> so save that for when you're like mid-cry. <laughs> um, and I watched something that at least two of y'all seen. Strong Island I watched last night. I saw it. Yeah. Before... Yeah, you saw it last podcast, right? Yeah. Chris has seen it. I saw it. No. It's almost not even a documentary. It's like a confessional. Yeah. Therapy session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. And that that also, that lens might also clarify some of the the perceived problems I have with it. Um, You know, I'm so used to documentaries having a goal. There is, there is a motive behind why they're making this movie that is anything but catharsis of the filmmaker. Like, White Helmets slash Last Man in Aleppo. Like, they're like bringing awareness to unsung heroes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as they, as they want to avoid it, it's impossible to not politicize that, that picture. And mm-hmm. most documentaries just have that thrust. I'm going to talk about Icarus and Abacus in a second. But, like... There's a very clear goal for the filmmaker in that. But I, the question I kept coming back to, because it is it is just segments of Yancey Ford's life, is what was the point of putting like lots of like contradictory statements about, you know, the brother's crime or not crime or, you know, the attendant circumstances to that le- led to his death. And, you know, shifting the focus from these seemingly congruent stories to just entirely irrelevant stories. And, and if I think of it like, you know, Yancey Ford wanted to make a movie that was 
focused on his revelation about his brother who died and that you know the, the 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 week that he finally got heard back from the detective about what the grand jury's decision was it's not about the grand jury's decision that he disagreed with it or thought it would go another way but just him hearing it i don't know yeah it's, it's interesting the I feel like it was, you know, one of the first things in the story. Me and Chris talked a little bit about this yesterday. Uh, it's like, I don't want to talk about the death of, of Ford. I want to talk about the life of Ford. Yeah. And I feel like maybe since the grand jury kind of saw enough there to think it was self-defense, so there was no crime committed, which is what happened, right? Am I yeah. speaking correctly on that? That... They decided it was self-defense because of some history Ford had. Mm. Uh, sounded like with and without the the shooter. Yeah. I mean, um, with yeah. the shooter and other people around. Right. Um, and I feel like maybe she didn't want that to be what he... Is known for. Yeah, because he saved a DA on the yeah. street. I mean, because of him, this guy's alive, you know? And, and he went and... Because of him, Yancey is the person that he is... Yeah, I totally forgot about that part. It's just so unconnected. It is, and it's and you know he's he's applying to be. I think I think the 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 tale of the corrections officer. You know he's applying to be a corrections officer, and the irony in like he's not a criminal. He's trying. Yeah. He's trying. He got to, hired. Yeah. Well, he was. <laughs> he was in one of the few because it's not a very light movie. It is very intense. Yeah, it is a dirge. Yeah, um, but one of the one of the moments of levity is when he pulls up the the corrections like the uh, like the notices back saying like you have uh, X number of days to get under this weight and like reading the journal of William Ford yeah uh, or reading his journal where he's got this like weight loss plan and then he fails the physical because he's overweight and then uh, they find the appeal letter uh, that he had filed. Uh, for, for physical fitness, and uh, Yancey's reading it, and is like, so, he would have been dead six weeks by now, but at least he was medically fit. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think, I didn't think that that played as light for me. I thought that was supposed to, meant to be tragic. It's one of the times, well, sure, but. I mean, she chuckled at it, even. The, yeah. The physically fit part. Not yeah. that he got in. Yeah. Not that he was hired. It's, it's one of the few times that a smile she made a joke. breaks yeah. across his face. He made a joke, yeah, sorry. It's, uh... I don't know. That was... The part that, that was weird to me was the the guy talking about the limo at the crime scene. I felt like they oh, yeah. glazed over that. And I was like, wait, no, more of that. I want to know more about this crazy fucking crime. Yeah. Like, a limo pulls up to this crime scene, and the guy who shot somebody walks up and gets in the limo for ten minutes, thinking it's out and gets to a cop car. Like either you're full of shit, or some crazy shit went down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but but I, I loved it. I loved uh, how much it made me. Th- I was texting Chris because of his knowledge of the law throughout the movie. Um, like, what about what if this happened? When this happened, would that be like reasonable doubt? Is that reasonable doubt? Um, it was. It was. It was really good. Uh, enjoyed it as much as I could have. I don't know. I still have a difficult time even <laughs> placing it in competition with the other ones. Yeah. Uh, just like you, Chris. It's like, 
what is the purpose of a documentary like this? Mm-hmm. I think it's like you either entertain, you clarify slash educate, you persuade. That's the main things I can think of for a documentary. Yeah, she wanted to clarify her, her his brother's life to educate the public about her brother. Yeah, that 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 William Ford wasn't a, somebody a, who was shot who deserved it. A clear his name kind of movie. Was mm-hmm. You know, they, it's hard because there's. I don't think that it's Yancey Ford's position that William was shot and it was justified because. He was shot by a white man, and he was a black man. I don't think that that's. No, I, don't, I don't think. I think that it's about the intersectionality of yeah. poverty, of geography, of race, of you know, even just like how unique their their whole family is, and that you can't look at this one snapshot. That when you hear grand jury clears, uh, Mark kept Mark. Kelly, is that his name? I forget. But the, the, the shooter's name, uh, you know, a, a no indictment for him would lead one to believe that William Ford is an aggressor. He's an aggressive person. And if that's the goal, like, sure. But I think it, it's strange for me because it calls attention to that, to the entire situation, as opposed to dispelling incorrect notions with something that is already, you know, at the front of the press. And this is a murder that happened, or a death that happened in 1992. For everyone else, you know, this is, this is like, like nothing happened. Right. Maybe that's also what's important about this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of it. I don't know. That's all I watched. Okay, next. We already talked about all the things I watched. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, Blade Runner. This is the Oscar nominated stuff, or at least that's all of the things I watched. That's what I wanted to talk about. Um, started a new TV series, but I'm not gonna get into that until I've watched more of it. Give us a taste. Really... What is it? Uh, I'm finally getting around to watching Mad Men. Oh, cool! Oh, nice. Yeah, I've never seen a second of that. Well, that's not true. I've seen every I watched episode. the last scene when it aired on like YouTube. <laughs> I know how it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe I'll have more to say about that down the road. Still playing stuff. Uh, just been playing Madden lately. Mm-hmm. Just uh, kind of in the mood with uh, Super Bowl looming. I used to play sports so. video games during seasons. That was yeah. yeah. I would stop playing football and start playing baseball around like March. Yeah. So uh, yeah, not not too much, not too much for me. So cool. I watched a few movies, a couple documentaries we've talked about. Icarus and Abacus. You guys were right. Icarus is great, and it's a wild ride, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, another movie that's super relevant now. If I had you know Nagano Olympics on the Nintendo sixty four, I'd be playing <laughs> yeah. that because the Olympics are right to start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Icarus is really good. It's it's the one it's the documentary that I've seen so far that I can that I will recommend to anybody, mm-hmm. regardless yeah. of emotional like affecting. Nature, the, the, it's just, it's an emotion neutral movie. I mean, like, you certainly feel for the characters in it and it's interesting and it keeps you along. But, you know, it, when you, when it, when the last minute ticks, you're not going to be left devastated the way that a lot of documentaries that are nominated do. Right. Um, so, the Chris is real good. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Abacus. I liked it. Um, I think 
Maybe, maybe a little... I was bothered less by some of the things in it than I think TJ was. Yeah. Also, just another crazy story. It's... Yeah, it's just... It, it's super interesting, you know? It's... Like, you, you think about events like, you know, Russian doping programs and about the subprime mortgage crisis, and you know the events, but, you know, you, you if you look back and you say, well, what happened to them? It's like, well, nothing for both, really. Yeah. Um, and it sucks, but, you know, you get these, these small hero tales, which are cool, um, which yeah. kind of put a human face on them. I think it'd be fun if the, like, the, I think the Abacus story would make a really good narrative movie. I mean, I was thinking about the big short the whole time when I was watching it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's especially interesting because, you know, not that it's the same, but, but Wells Fargo just recently got, like, hit really hard with regulation this past Friday. And it's just, it's just crazy how the government is forced to deal with large financial institutions because despite, like, numerous, like, lots of evidence of wrongdoing, they can't do fucking anything. Because if they if they shut down Wells Fargo, like they have two trillion dollars worth of capital in this country, like, right? Like you can't just make that go away, right? Um, but with a bank like Abacus, they're an easy target or a soft target. Yeah. Um, to make an example of. Yeah, I mean, my favorite part of Abacus was when they talk about the percentage of loans that are like paid on time every month. <laughs> it's like ninety-seven percent. Yeah. The loans they gave out are paid every month. Yeah, the, the defense attorney is just so, like, stunned when he, like, reads through those facts. Yeah. He's like, this is one of the most profitable banks for Fannie Mae. Yeah. Like, they, like, there's there, there's no harm. Yeah. Like, I, like, he's just, like, flabbergasted. Like, he doesn't like, understand. The default rate, like, zero of the Abacus loans defaulted. In the indictment period, yeah. It's like, what is the percentage of Fannie Mae wants that do? <laughs> Yeah, it was one of like two moments in that movie that I liked a lot, but it was, it was real funny. And they're like, "Is that a good percentage?" And he was like, "It's unbelievable." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not just good; it's like insane. Um, and then I watched also like the sorry the challenge fine. at the yeah. end. There's the uh, Asian activist in the community. Don it's like Lee, this is yeah, this is like a great triumph. But who has the legal defense to? You know, make things fair. Yeah. Who has $10 million over a course of like five years to do this? Yeah. Yeah. It was also funny because he's one of the first people who's like, you know, they thought they picked a soft target, but they didn't realize like the bank they picked was a family full of lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> Are they Chinese? Yeah, they're Chinese. All right, it's going to make a, it's Chinatown Jake joke. <laughs> There's someone says that. Yeah. So at some point in the, in the documentary, someone's like, but it's Chinatown. Yeah. Uh, and then I watched two things um, in addition to stuff we group talked about. Uh, I watched Loving Vincent. Cool. Um, really interesting movie. Yeah. Um, I I kind of don't give a shit about the plot of it, um, and the voice acting doesn't help it. The voice acting is kind of rough in spots, and that could just be my disconnect between the way that they had to cut down on the number of frames available because they were hand painting on oil canvas mm. every scene so it doesn't it looks like it looks like ADR mm. it obviously is because it's animated but it looks especially bad um, so the voice acting kind of put me off a little um, but I also just don't think it was a an incredibly interesting story um, but the way yeah. it's told is really cool um, I found it a little distracting at times but 
Would you think? Do you think it'd be more effective if like uh, it was completely no narrative, not no narrative, no vocals, and it, there was an instrumental track written for it instead, like Fantasia? Yeah, they would have to tell a different story. Yeah, um, it is. It is a series of so it, it follows uh, Roland Roland. And he is given a letter from his father, who's a postmaster. That's the Chris O'Dowd role. Um, and it's from Vincent Van Gogh to Theo Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to track down Theo and give him the letter. But also along the way, because his dad had a lot of respect for Vincent and doesn't believe that he, would have, he could have killed himself. Not even in the realm of possibility. Um, kind of figure out why it happened. Um, and so it's a series of... of it's, it's a journey of his of going around and talking to people who knew Vincent and Theo... Okay. And kind of finding out, like, was he a tortured artist? You know, like, did he make enemies? Were there people trying to, like, profit off of him? Um, and that's why, you know, he was shot or he ended his life or there was an accident. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but the parts that I, that I loved were the parts that didn't need narrative. And it was the black and white. The flashbacks. Any of the flashbacks. Um, you know, the dialogue. It's just being narrated over top of. Um, you know, Vincent Van Gogh doesn't speak until the last 30 seconds of the movie. Um, but it's... But the end credits are really cool. The end credits where, are really where cool. Where it's like, these are the paintings of Vincent Dier of all these people he had come across. Yeah, even if you're not... characters in the movie you just watched. Was e- even if you're not a big fan of art, you will look at a character who's on screen, who like John Sessions' character... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not that there was a painting of Vincent Van Gogh's that was called, like, The Doctor or whatever that had John Sessions' character in it, but they drew the inspiration from the character from one of Vincent Van Gogh's, like, characters or, like, background people. Right. Um, and so you see this guy on screen, and it's like you recognize it. Like, you, yeah. you, you, you've seen this person in oil before. Which is, I wonder, um, Al, friend of the podcast, Al, uh, Brought up a good question talking to him a couple days ago about it. Like, I wonder if I would love that movie if I was like a huge Van Gogh fan. Yeah, like, I bet I'd be like, "This is amazing!" Because you, know, you see all the pictures come to life. Yeah, you probably get even the backgrounds are yeah. like straight up ripped from Van Gogh paintings. Yeah, you get insulted at the end when they end on Starry Night. You'd be like, "Motherfuckers!" It starts <laughs> ends on Starry Night. But yeah, I mean, reiterate what I said last week. I guess it was the sixty-five thousand paintings, one hundred twenty-five artists. It's a fucking achievement, if nothing else. Yeah, it is. Um, there's like, I sound like a dad who's mad at his son for getting second place. It does make <laughs> me wonder. Um, it is very framey, and if you have a problem with that, which it was, it was off-putting for me that it's sixty-five thousand paintings. But if you break it down for the length of the movie, that's eleven frames per second. Like. That's not what movies are shot in now. That's like stop motion still films at 24 frames per second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because they're swapping in, each each painting are adding paint onto each canvas. Right. Because I, I read it was also 864 total paintings. Right. Um, when they were done, because they were painting over. Um, 11 frames per second is low. Yeah. Um, and not that that's here nor there, but it, it, it did bother me. It felt like a flip book more than it did a movie. Yeah. Um, you know, not saying like they should have painted more. That's bullshit. But it, it just might not have been the animation style for me. Yeah, I mean, I give, I give a lot of points for doing something in a hundred twenty year industry that's never been done before. Too. Yeah. So yeah, and it's funny that the thing that they did was they like 
they they uninvented the wheel. <laughs> they they yeah. made a triangle wheel, right? Because you know people people have been hand painting animated movies for a long time. Yeah, just not on oil and not on not with that like thick oil paint on canvas. Right. You know, if you broke down how many individual drawings there are in you know Beauty and the Beast, I'm sure it's more than sixty five thousand. Well, not Beauty and the Beast because they use cells and stuff, but and computer generation. But like back in like classic animated movies, they animated and hand painted everything. Um, but yeah, really cool. Maybe it's not my cup of tea. I'd be interested to see if in 50 years they try it again. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I'm sure it took them a lot of time. Um, and then the last thing I saw, and it's going to go quick because it is just uh, it's a flash in the pan uh, kind of movie. I've almost forgotten all the details. I watched Victoria and Abdul. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Oscar nominated costume category. And, and hair and makeup. Hair. Yeah. Hair and makeup. Um, it's fine. Judy Dench is, is a boss as Queen Victoria. Um, yeah. She's probably pretty good at playing queens. Yeah, but at this point... She's been Queen Victoria. Yeah, yeah. this is her second turn at, at Queen Vicks. Um, but the... Uh, Did we an Oscar for the first one? Yes. No. no. I still one for Shakespeare. She was Elizabeth in that. What were we talking about? Sorry. Queen, Queen Victoria. Victoria. I was doing... Uh, when the you title s- of the movie. Yeah, when, when, when you... I will admit, when you said she's a boss, I just started thinking boss baby jokes in my head about, about <laughs> Victoria and Abdul, so I was only half there. My yeah. bad. She was Queen Victoria in the movie Mrs. Brown. Yes. Also. Okay. With Wait. Billy Con- Connolly's in it. Who played Mrs. Brown? I think she is. It's like a pseudonym or something. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun movie. You know, Judy Dench, it's, it's about... Uh, an Indian man who was basically sent to uh, Buckingham Palace on the Jubilee of the Queen mm-hmm. to present like some like fucking token bullshit, and he's given a bunch of rules and doesn't obey them. And she kind of likes that he's trying to be trying to treat her like a human being because mm-hmm. um, King Philip has just died and she's still kind of in mourning. She was in mourning for until the end of her life. Um, and he's treating her not like the queen, but as somebody who's has interesting stories to tell and wants to hear interesting stories, and not some Fabergé egg you put up on a shelf. Um, so that part's really cool, and Judy Dench delivers some awesome verbal smackdowns, like when the whole house threatens to resign because she, she's going to knight this dude from India. Uh, she just like hauls them all in a room and, and gives a good speech because um, Judy Dench can give some great speeches as a queen because she's got yeah. tons of fucking practice. Um, the guy who plays Abdul is really good. Um, costumes, obviously, meticulous and beautiful and very period. Um, you know, this is 1891. So, lots of really fancy frills on people. Um, funny, you know, but it's 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 kind of a, a nonsense movie. This is not not one that you're going to walk away as a favorite of anyone. It's the AARP movie of the year. Yeah, this is the Best Exotic Mangled Hotel pick of the year. Huh, the... Director called it an unofficial sequel to Mrs. Brown. <laughs> well, it, it takes place basically immediately afterwards okay. of the events of Mrs. Brown. Okay, cool. Um, because Mrs. Brown is about the death of King Philip, from what I from what I read, um, and so then this takes place essentially right after. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then what I'm playing, playing the same shit, but uh, I've I'm almost done with Breath of the Wild. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Like how? What kind of done? I've gotten all the shrines, all 120. Nice. Um, I'm not going to do all the Koroxes because it's 800. And have I you charged the castle yet? Or are you getting ready to charge the castle? 
Not I haven't yet. I'm trying to upgrade all my armor as my last like completionist thing. Go. So I've got to like hunt dragons and shit. Go kill that motherfucker. No, no, no go to the castle. Yeah, sweet. But yeah, I've got probably like eight hours, maybe, and probably like three hours of playtime left. Nice. And then I'm gonna download all the DLC and I'm gonna play it for another twenty hours, <laughs> twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Sweet. So David, what'd you watch? <laughs> Just keep going. Think <laughs> <laughs> she had watched an entire movie by the time we got around. Probably pretty close. Go watch a short episode. Um, breezy? Ba-ba-ba breezy. I got a couple breezy things. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind me sticking my toe into the breezy waters. What was the point for? Because there's there's a piece of news that Brent is most excited about. Oh, we'll do that first. No, I don't care. I have two build <laughs> things to talk about. I don't know what Chris is talking about. I don't either, but is, is it Tom Hanks is going to play Mr. Rogers? <laughs> 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 No. Right, that's one. <laughs> David, what you got? Uh, that's a really great, great the like, casting decision. Is, like yeah. he's the most loved actor in America. Mr. Rogers plays Mr. Rogers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like on screen and off. Right. Mm-hmm. He's. He, I think he's just in method. Has been mm-hmm. <laughs> method acting as him for like twenty years. He's Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Mr. Rogers loved typewriters. <laughs> we have two uh, a guild and then a semi guild yeah. happened over the weekend. Uh, both happened on uh, the third. One was uh, the Annie Awards, mm-hmm. which which are kind of fun. Um, Coco I got them right here. Coco dominated, yeah, yeah, eleven out of eleven categories. So yeah, I think there's something to that movie that I don't, some finesse that I just don't have the technical knowledge of. That like Pixar has done this before, but this is like resounding. I think I've because I've seen now four of the five nominees, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen Ferdinand. Yeah. There's just not much competition this year. Yeah. Yep. In best uh, independent movie, Breadwinner won. Uh, you also have the two shorts, animated shorts going against each other. Dear Basketball won for the best animated short, sub- short subject. Uh, but also, Revolting Rhymes won for best animated special production. Yeah. Maybe they, different. Se- they separate them. Because Revolting Rhymes was aired on the BBC. Yeah, it's kind of like a TV thing. Yeah. And uh, besides that... I don't know, yeah, Coco wins a whole bunch of stuff. Rick and Morty wins for uh, animated television. Okay, cool. We Bear Bears. A bunch of stuff that... That's a fun show. But uh, character animation and live action, War for the Planet of the Apes won in the Annies, and Cuphead won for video game. Cuphead! Cuphead! (laughs) Cuphead! I guess you're going to talk about DGA is next? DGA is next, yeah. Big one is that... uh, Guillermo del Toro won Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Kind of lining up to be... I think it officially makes now. it a, a crazy upset if he doesn't win Best Director at the Academy Awards. Yep. So it's either going to be another split year or uh, it's going to be a, a Shape of Water just year this yeah. year. be interesting to see. Um, Jordan Peele got first time. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that... Uh, For Best Documentary, I remember seeing this in a lot of lists, but I don't understand how City of Ghosts didn't make the Academy cut. Because it won the DGA for Best Documentary. Yeah, it is weird. I, th- I thought it was going to make it, but mm. it didn't. Handmaid's Tale, Veep, Big Little Lies, still winners of everything. Yep. And then the thing that, that I thought was one of the predictions I got wrong was for Variety Talk News Sports specials, uh, the Directors Guild Awards gave it to the 89th Annual <laughs> Academy Awards. <laughs> I think that was one of the ones I missed. Yeah, it was the one that I missed, because I just, like... I missed documentary, I missed two. That's so, like, masturbatory. <laughs> like, all these directors who are nominated for Oscars giving the award to the Oscars from the previous year. 
I don't know. I got that one. <laughs> I, I went wild and I did Christopher Nolan, his fourth DGA, and only his first Academy Award. I just thought it'd be fun to pick something different. Yeah. So uh, by the time you beloved listeners are hearing this, there you will have probably already had access to Solo's first trailer, which is dropping oh, on right. Monday, February 5th on Good Morning America. So and not in half like halftime of the Super uh, Bowl. Apparently not during the Super Bowl, <laughs> but during Good Morning America. The most watched Good Morning America of. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to be true. I wonder if it's going to be like a surprise at the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, there is a uh, Mission Impossible's also has a new trailer coming. I think it's Super Bowl trailer. What is it called? It's got some strange name because it's a Mission Impossible movie. I just know it as Mission Impossible Six, Mission Impossible Ghost Nation. No, it's some, it's some Rogue Protocol. They just start changing up the words. <laughs> Mission Impossible, can't Google a Star MI, Wars story. Can't Google MI Six. <laughs> You're on a list now, man. <laughs> um, MI Six Super Bowl. Huh? Mission Impossible Fallout. Right, Fallout. Yeah. So post-apocalyptic. Ethan Hunt. There is something y'all talk about Super Bowl. Halftime of the Super Bowl, there's something that the podcast us podcasters like a lot. At halftime there's a special HQ. Yeah. Fifteen questions, twenty thousand dollars the most they've ever given away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, and while we're gonna we're, be at a Super Bowl party with like twenty five trivia people. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully somebody wins something. <laughs> it'll be the first time I get to play. I'm yeah, excited. Nice. And while we're on the subject of games, the piece of news, the piece of breeze that I thought that Brent would be most excited for is uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 got a release date. Oh, yeah, I heard about it that. It did? Yep, October 26th, 2018. Nice, right in the glut season. Yep, right right in the... Uh, we release games here because we want them to get best uh, end-of-year awards. Yep. But I will... Uh, I, I, will I will make a bet that it does not release October 26th, I was going to ask you, it's like, do you think that's actually going to be in that, in that slot? I would, I would yeah. I... I Rockstar especially is like infamous for pushing, which is good. I mean, they they deliver. Well, I still deliver pretty buggy games, but yeah, they deliver pretty great games as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. but so RDR two slated for end of October. RDR. I think it'd be fun for us to talk about what what our favorite moments of the solo trailer were, having not seen it. <laughs> My favorite one is when they say about uh, making the Kessel Run, and then everyone just sort of starts cheering in the theater, even though you're watching it at home. Yeah, where there's you like, the like cheering. that's going to take at least 14 parsecs. <laughs> How many parse- parsecs is that? <laughs> I thought it was weird that they focused so much on the previous relationship that sets up, that sets up the, uh, the context for Han shooting first. Like, they don't need a backstory of Han and Greedo, right? Yeah. Uh, I do, I do, uh, like... Be Greedo's third Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> baby Greedo. He's cast as Phantom Menace as Baby Greedo. Remember when uh, Han Solo goes over to Lando and he's like, what's the name of that ship you got? I like it. Yeah. I'm calling it the Bicentennial Falcon. <laughs> but what if you added, what if you dropped the... That's the, it's the, it's the Gen X Falcon. <laughs> it's the, uh... Era pigeon. <laughs> the, the Eon other bird. <laughs> That's the only two birds you know. Or falcons and pigeons. The Eon, Eon eagle. What, what other birds are there? Uh, the Millennium. Eon albatross. 
We should move past this stupid bit. Yes, we should. <laughs> is that the century penguin? <laughs> All right, David, you need to leave. Yeah. All right, turn, I'll turn, see you guys. Turn, turn him off. <laughs> Anybody got anything else there? Not a lot. Not a lot going on these days. No, I think this is our our like nightmare week for for coming in theaters, isn't it? Oh yeah, what's the best bet in theaters this week? It's you guys always have a different list, but I've got a. Fifteen, seventeen to Paris. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about it last Fifty Shades week. Freed, Peter Rabbit, and it looks like a, a Bollywood movie called Padman. That <laughs> that's the one I pick. And it's not about like any other kind of pad except for sanitary napkins. <laughs> that's not true. Um, Look at the logo. No. <laughs> it really is. Oh, those three, I'm picking Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit looks like one of those, it's a, yet another in that long line of movies where animals wear shirts but no pants. <laughs> I think they at least reference it in this I one. think it's called Donald Ducking It. I love James Corden, but I don't think I can sit through 90 minutes of James Corden. So Donald Gleason and Daisy Ridley. So uh, She's a voice, I believe. So the week before, we have Fantastic Woman and Limited. Hopefully that... Opens, but that's kind of cheating for this thing. Yeah. I'm going to say uh, Fifty Shades Freed. Ugh. I'm going to see Fifty Shades Freed. I will probably not watch the other two movies. Chris, wait for the climax. I fucking hate that. Coming soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll pick fifteen seventeen to Paris because it is only an hour and 34 minutes long. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'm I'm seriously just gonna go Peter Rabbit. I'm going Peter Rabbit. It'll be it'll be cute. Yeah, yeah. It could surprisingly be good. It's got good good people in it. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping the same for the one I picked because it's Clint Eastwood directed, and I don't know much about it. It seems like experimental style directing because he cast non actors. Mm-hmm. He cast the people that but live the events. Well, he cast the three heroes yeah. that like stopped it. They're so, playing yeah. themselves. That's really interesting. It is interesting, even if it's. Probably gonna suck, but at least it's interesting. There's a scene in the trailer where he's like running toward the terrace, though, and I swear he's got a smile on his face when he's doing it. And it's like he's just so excited he's in a movie. It's like, it's just it's like a I mean, God bless the guy. What he did was yeah. awesome. While he's running, like, he looks back and gives like a thumbs up. <laughs> he's like, like this. <laughs> I just, from reading Wikipedia, I'm pretty sure that the Fifty Shades trilogy ends with. Uh, the third movie. <laughs> <laughs> so. with, with Anastasia and Christian Grey not being together. So that's what I want to see. Uh, I want to I see, because it's the freed part of the title of the books. The word freed looks so weird. Every time I see it, I think it's Fifty Shades Fred. <laughs> the double E. Fifty Fred. Shades of Fred. You don't want to talk to him in the office. We so call him Fifty Shades sex. Fred. <laughs> I'm in my blue phase. Somehow the less sexy sequel to Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> I like that movie when I was a kid. And Peter Rabbit's getting like mediocre reviews. Yeah. Well, Just see Paddington again. <laughs> when you see Paddington too, we have, none of us have, we have a dead movie podcast, so we haven't seen the greatest movie of all time. Yep. I'm sure Paddington is still in the theaters, so dear listener, see it for the fourth or fifth time at this point. Yeah. It's not the greatest movie of all time. It is the least offensive movie. <laughs> True. <laughs> the least disliked. Oh, no. Some people hate bears. It's true. All right, so that does it, it's right? It's going to make a 
But this was Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media bios. Please visit the site and see our stuff. Connect with us on Twitter, Gmail, our Facebook groups, our Facebook page. Love to hear from you. Please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating. And uh, check us out. Um, I want to say thanks to Willow Walkers for providing the intro music. Thanks. <laughs> and thanks to Burrito for providing the outro music. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are like the perfect like sine and cosine wave at the same time. Yeah, no, we are. It's a, it's a solid brick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll say thanks to you guys for listening, and uh, see you on the flippy flip. Ba ba ba. See you on the flip. See you see on the flippity flop. I'll see you or see you at another time. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know